Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 165 of the Mandolin's Beer Podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. It's also brought to you in part by Acoustic Disc, where they should be announcing the newest Acoustic Disc release and a new podcast with Danny Barnes and David Grisman, the Acoustic Encounters podcast. And they also are sending out the Treat of the Week, so be sure to go to Acoustic Disc's website right now and sign up for the email list so that way you'll be notified when these new releases drop and when the Treat of the Week comes out. And also brought to you in part by Grace Design Preamps. Grace Design Preamps, there's a reason why you see them on the stage of some of your favorite acoustic performers who plug their instruments in. They are second to none when it comes to preamps for acoustic instruments. Happy New Year, everybody, 2023. Hope everybody is doing good. It was nice to have a few weeks to recharge the batteries here, that's for sure. So, But I'm excited to get back in it. Joe Walsh's brand new album is out today. It's fantastic. It's incredible. You're going to hear parts of it from here. Um, Joe talks about a few albums uh, that he finds for inspiration that are, that are a little bit out of the genre that you may expect. And I didn't want to play samples um, on this episode because I wanted it to be focused on Joe's songs. However, I'll have a list of those artists at mandolinsandbeer.com underneath the um, the post for this episode. Also, I'll have a link to Westbound Situations Kickstarter, Jake Howard. Great guy, great player. Plays in the Henhouse Prowlers, also plays in Westbound Situation um, with Grant Flick, who's an incredible fiddle player. The whole band's incredible. And they're doing a Kickstarter for their new album, which I'm sure is going to be stellar as well. So if you go to mandolinsbeard.com, you'll be able to find the link to that Kickstarter as well. Joe's got himself a brand new course coming up on Peghead Nation's website, by the way, as well, on uh, jazz and swing tunes. He talks a little bit about that. If you're not familiar with Peghead Nation, they're streaming video courses in mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass. You can learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in roots music. PegheadNation.com features a great lineup of mandolin instructors in the best lineup of mandolin instructors you can find. I mean, you have Sharon Gilchrist, Joe K. Walsh, Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Fibus, Chad Manning, Ian Corey, everything from beginner to advanced. They have got it there. They even have theory. So check that out. And the best part about Peghead Nation is that you can join any of their video courses now and get the first month for free. Just go to pegheadnation.com. Use that promo code mandolinbeer, all one word, at checkout. Northfield Mandolins, let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at northfieldmandolins.com. Download their app at mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. They got a lot going on. I'm going to catch up with Adrian and the rest of the Northfield crew here, hopefully uh, in early springish, maybe March, April. Uh, they, they really do have a lot of incredible stuff going on. So be sure to follow them on their social media as well. Ellis Mandolins, handcrafted mandolins, designed and built in Austin, Texas. It's also the home of Pava Mandolins as well. And Elderly Instruments. Elderly Instruments is your trusted source for new, used, and vintage fretted and stringed instruments. For the experienced beginner player, their vast selection of mandolins, guitars, banjos, ukuleles, and did I say mandolins? Includes all of the accessories and books to go with them. All instruments are inspected and set up for easy playability, and their down-to-earth and knowledgeable staff are there to help. Now in their 50th year, they're family-owned and operated ship worldwide, and you can visit them anytime at elderly.com. All right, folks, let's jump into the first episode of 2023. 
You guys take care. Have yourselves a fantastic weekend. Let's get into this episode with Joe K. Walsh. Cheers, everybody. It is always a pleasure to welcome back to the podcast, Joe K. Walsh. Joe, how's it going? Happy New Year, buddy. Great to be with you, man. Thanks for having me. Oh, man. Thank you for uh, doing the podcast again. You got this brand new album coming out this Friday, and this episode will air the day that is available. So everybody should pause now and go purchase the album from Bandcamp. Is that or what's 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 better for you, Bandcamp, your website? What's the uh, preferred? Yeah, it's on Bandcamp. It's through the label. I'm on a label, but I <laughs> honestly I don't know how to pronounce the the name of the label. It's Adeiropa. Oh yeah, it's yeah. Joe Brent's. Yeah, it's Joe Brent's label. But yeah, it's on Adeiropa Records and through their Bandcamp or my Bandcamp or. You know, honestly, I'm just happy to have people listen to it too. So if people just go stream it, that's good too. I just believe in the music and i'm excited to get it out there it's incredible and, and and we will get into that in a minute first off you're doing some release date shows around the, this album yeah yeah put together a little band. It's, it's always hard to get together um you know it, i'm it, i only did five dates because it it's a really special crew and, and with everybody's very scheduled it's, it's hard to get everybody aligned so, but five dates is pretty good. That's more than I've done for some of these records. <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to be in the uh, the touring lineup? Well, I feel really lucky to have such a you know special crew together. It's Daryl Anger on fiddle, and Greg Gordy on guitar, and Brittany Carlson playing bass, and a new friend John Sumpkin who's going to be playing some drums, which is kind of a new thing. I never brought a drummer on the road, and I got a lot of history with. You know, all those other folks, lots and lots of gigs over many years, but um should be fun to see what happens with the drummer in the mix. And he's a drummer. He also performs on the album, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. When a drummer goes on tour with you, since it's the first time, like, is it a full drum set? Is it just snare, snare and a kick drum? Oh, it's small. Yeah. I think he's bringing, um, I don't know, two or three pieces. I don't even know what they all are. <laughs> They're round. But he's, he's not bringing much. It's like brushes and... Just a couple of things. Oh, man, that's exciting. And it's all Northeast-based. I know Boston is on there. Portland, Maine. Portland, Maine, and Saratoga Springs at Cafe Lena, and Guitar Town, which is that nice thing down in Connecticut, and then up in northern Vermont at the Zen Barn. And the, and the new album, If Not Now, Who? A great, great title. <laughs> Thanks, man. Absolutely. <laughs> I got to ask, how did you come up with that? Well, you know, there's been a couple of years now where I've been writing this music and then also realizing that, you know, sometimes what I'm listening to and what I'm playing isn't quite um, the same, you know? Um, so I was trying to write uh, write and move towards playing stuff that reflected the stuff I was listening to. kind of, And the title kind of is an allusion to the idea of like, if I think there's something that should be happening out there, some music that isn't being made that should be made, well, I should just, I should do it. Is what <laughs> should happen. That's great. I shouldn't just sit around complaining about what's not happening or what, well, you know, whatever my perception of the state of the music is, I should just try and make it happen. 
reminds me of a uh, Prince quote where um, somebody was asking him what he listens to when he's not, you know, playing or recording. He's like, if I, li- if I want to listen to new music, I just write it. <laughs> that's funny. That's really good. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You also have an incredible lineup of players on this album as well. On the record, yeah. So Grant's on that. As anybody who has heard me play before, I worked with Grant a lot and lots of records together. And so he played guitar, and the great fiddler John Mylander, who's this tremendous young, you know, gentle giant of the fiddle, um, living in Nashville now. So he's playing fiddle. The great Ella Jordan is also playing fiddle. And I think she's a little less known than John because she's younger and kind of just. Uh, embarking on this career, but she's now in mile 12. She's a fantastic fiddle player, one of my very, very favorite fiddle players. Um, and then I, I got Matt Flinner to play banjo. And I've always, Matt Flinner is one of my heroes, like his writing, his arranging. And as a mandolin player, he just at the top of what I love to hear on the mandolin, his, his, what's happening in his hands. But I didn't want to play mandolin on my record. Because <laughs> I wanted to do that. Um, so it was cool to, to, to remember that he's such a tremendous banjo player and his beautiful musical mind could be um, part of the conversation in that way and on that instrument. So that's, that was a real privilege. And then, um, as I mentioned, that drummer, John Sunkin, and he's great. And that was really cool. I think it's his recording debut, actually. Oh, no um, Yeah, which is a great honor. And then for many years, I've been making records with this bass player, Carl Doty, who actually shares my hometown. And it's just this unshakably steady, you know, not stressed out at all, just t- totally cool-headed presence in the studio. And it's really kind of makes so many things possible. So he's a good, good old friend and tremendous bass player. Where did you record it at? Hmm. There's this barn up here in Maine called Great North Sound. I think that's what it's called. And it's owned by the keyboard player from Josh Ritter's band. But lots of people have made records there. Lake Street Dive, Joy Kill Sorrow, um, Ethan Satia One. Um, you know, just lots of, it's like kind of a nice place to go hole up and put the whole band in the house and live there for a week and make a record. And Ethan Satia One engineered it. He did. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, he, it's nice to have a mandolin player on the dials. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And then mix. We were just talking about Dave Cinco before we started recording. Speaking of, yeah, having a mandolin player on the dials. I think Dave plays the mandolin. And he used to build them. <laughs> so, yeah, that was nice to have. I mean, yeah, I have a lot of faith in Dave Cinco. So, and then Dave Glasser. It's just like all these people you have faith in, and then you don't have to worry about. It other stuff and i have to um it's it's great to hear i mean you were just here in charleston and so i got to you know hear you play that beautiful gilchrist uh, five feet away from me and um it's the mandolin tone on this entire recording is just it uh, just awe-inspiring it sounds thanks man it sounds like you're sitting right in front of me (laughs) that's great and i have a great it was cool to have the appreciation of actually you know it wasn't that long ago so i could it was just like wow that literally sounds like he's sitting right here and that is that's so hard to do on albums i think that's the goal isn't it i Mm -hmm. mean uh that's why you know 
everybody's always asking what pickup I use. And it's like, I don't have a pickup. I want it to sound like it sounds. And I don't, I haven't found one that does that. So it's like, to me, that's why we do, that's why we do it. I like the way the mandolin sounds. And hopefully it's maintained all the way through the process. Do you bring, I know you have um, some mics. Do you, did you bring your own mics to this recording? Yeah, I bought, you know, I didn't, I resisted this for many years, but I finally um, spent the money and bought an old uh, KM84. And, and, you know, I had always read the dog recorded on that. And I think Mike Marshall and, and Matt Flinner has one that's really similar. And, you know, it's like all these people are my heroes and I love the way they sound. And, and the microphone is part of the equation. So I, I finally just, you know, <laughs> accepted the cost. And, and, and I, and, and it was, it was, I don't regret it at all. It's like, it's a game changer. And again, though, the cost in, in, in the instrument world that we play in, is all kind of relative at that point too. You know, it's, you know, obviously it's more expensive than a blue chip pick, but or whatever pick that is out there for, you know, that higher price range of people. Like I can't imagine playing with an expensive pick or using expensive mic. I'm like, well, you have an expensive mandolin. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, you're totally right. It's Absolutely. kind of relative to that. Like if you want to have the best sound, it's kind of worth it to invest in all, all angles of it. Totally. And like, I wasn't, you know, even still, there's situations where I'm not aware of like, if something's not working, why it's not working. Um, but gradually I've gotten more and more variables that I can understand and having a microphone that I love makes so many things easier and I can understand how to function in the way I want to knowing that that microphone will be there. So, yeah. And it probably clears a little mental space when you go into recording for you. Absolutely. You know, if you don't have to, you don't have to worry about everything. You know, you're like, okay, I've got, I've done all the things I can do. I've worked on my tone. I've got this mic that I know delivers. I've got the people on the dials. Let's just, let's make music. Totally. And it's, I mean, the, anything you can do to uh, put more faith in your, your sense of it, whether it's going to work or not. Uh, it, it, the more faith you have, the easier the whole process will be, especially for me, especially when it comes to improvising, you know, conversational music. You got to be in this beautiful place of like optimism and, and, uh, uh, you know, a sense that when you go exploring and you, t you take a risk that it's going to work out. And these songs have obviously killer, killer, tasty, tasty licks and incredible playing, but it really does seem very conversational. It seems like each solo kind of plays off what the last person played or, you know, really beautifully off the melody. And it just seems like there was a lot of listening going on during the recording. That's yeah, absolutely. It's a real delicate balance, but I, you know, that was, that was why those people were there is that they all value that they all, you know, they're all willing to make, um, being in the moment and, and taking a risk and having what they play being responsive to whatever somebody else just played. That that's, that's a priority for all those people. And that's what makes it, I think to me so special. I mean, the records that I listen to, that's what's going on is that the piano player heard what the drummer did or, you know, whom, whatever record it is. It's like, it's all about being present with those people. And then what's possible that day instead of, you know, I've never worked from the template of here's your notes. Here's every note that you're going to play on this tune. And that's your part. And I learn it. I never had too much interest in that. It's much more interesting to see, you know, what, Grant might think to do with this melody that I've been nurturing or, 
if he does that, what Grant, what John might do. And that's so much more beautiful than anything I can come up with on my own. In, in, in Grant, the, the, my favorite non-mandolin part of this record is on Globe Thistle. And he has a rip. It sounds like he's falling down the stairs. <laughs> that, absolutely. That's the right way to say it. <laughs> I played some of that stuff for Bruce Malski. And he's listening very, you know, generously, and and then at the end he's like, "Who made Grant Gordy?" <laughs> Which one of these tracks was Madison? And I'm just gonna guess. I got some of the notes here, but Madison sounds like it began in Minneapolis. Yeah, yeah. Just killing time, waiting for uh, the light rail there on the way to the airport, uh, and you know, always having the mandolin in hand. It's nice to try and intercept, you know, me from going to Instagram and actually make some music while I'm waiting. How long ago was that one started? Was that um, an older tune or one that was? It was quite a while, actually. It was because um, it was when John was still a student at Berkeley. So I think it might have been eight years ago um and it was it was like sometimes you have these things where you you, you write one section and clearly it needs something else to happen but you, you, you know you kind of get stumped and that was one of those cases and again even as a student i was like i have a lot of faith in john and he wrote some beautiful tunes so i figured let's see what he would think of to do with the second half so actually it's a co-write with john mylander and you do those writing ensembles at Berkeley. Yeah, that's that's been a fun thing. Um, I don't know how many years I've been doing it, but whenever it, and it's not every semester, but to me, it's always the highlight of any semester where I am doing it. It's like this beautiful exchange and everybody holds each other. Um, you know, like we're all kind of trying to make sure we have something nice to present to each other every week. So the, the conceit is me and each of the students all write a tune um, each week and then come in and play them, workshop them. If anybody wants feedback, then we can give it. But And it's a good impetus to keep writing. And, and when, when everybody's really supportive, it kind of brings out the best in each other. It's, it can be really special. And you got, there's a couple co-writes on here. One with uh, our buddy Andrew Marlin as well, The Bills. Thank you. 
was, yeah, kind of the same thing. I had a nice A section that I was, you know, just kind of returning to every month or two, seeing what might what uh, spill out. And and even Daryl and I had tried to write the B section, and then I just sent the A part to Andrew, and he sent the B part back, and even <laughs> he, he sent the title back too, which was which was pretty slick. <laughs> yeah. And then in the notes here, it says, where would we be without Monroe and Frizzell? Which is super Yeah. Cool. To me, like, I felt like the A part, like, owed a debt to Frizzell. And then, of course, when he came in and played that B part, it was like, oh, yeah. Okay. We owe a debt to, obviously, we owe a debt to Monroe as well. Yeah. And then uh, the other one, too, the other one that is on here, which, by the way, this song is is beautiful. 41 Years, which is also oh, a, a co write. Yeah. Yeah, that was a kind of a cool thing where, like, um, I, I brought in that tune um, to the tune writing ensemble, and I, I felt like there was one missing chord. So Ella's Ella Jordan, the fiddle player on this record, her sister is a fantastic fiddle player, um, just phenomenal, and she she suggested the perfect chord for that. So it was really nice. I think that's like I think that was a cool moment there because I think if you can break away that perception that we're all supposed to have all the answers. Even if you're the teacher, you're supposed to know everything. I really feel like breaking away from that perception is important because if that's your definition of what it is to be a musician or a, a writer, instead of accepting that the unknown is part of it, I think that's much healthier and much more accurate. What was it about the chord? What was the chord and what was it that really sent you into the, you're like, oh my gosh, that's it. Well, there was a couple notes. I had this descending double stop line um, going from a D and an F sharp of a D chord then to C sharp and E of an A chord. And then I wanted the C sharp to go to C. So, you know, it it's it was C sharp and E really strongly implying an A chord. It could have been an A minor chord. It was really just sort of an open question about what those notes really wanted to do or what they implied. And then she had the beautiful... Um, presence of mind to think well that could be the fifth and the, and the major seventh of an f major seven chord and that kind of was um that beautiful punctuation that beautiful surprising satisfying moment that was needed right then so the the flat six chord going to the five dominant chord um well i don't know if i would have thought of it but it was it's kind of the perfect perfect little solution is like a punchline just when you need it. <laughs> and it and it really felt like it arrived exactly where we needed something surprising to happen. So it's it is really perfect. That's beautiful. That's a beautiful thing about music. I mean and I, I love nerdy theory stuff too, but sometimes you gotta you gotta th- not think about that portion of it. 
<laughs> as well. You yeah, know? no, absolutely, absolutely. And you can you can you can allow yourself to think about that sort of stuff too much and and forget about just what a melody should sound like and what sounds good to you, what feels good. For you, what feels good? I mean, it's probably tough to uh, to pick one track. It's like picking you know, your favorite child, but is there one on here right now where you're just like, yeah, this is for me, this is like the tune that if I had to play one song off this album for somebody. Oh yeah. That's a good question. Um, I don't know. Um, I thought that mo- that tune Tom was a beautiful, coherent, just like, um, kind of setting a scene and, and honoring that. I thought that was nice. It's over is a is a is a really good tune. That's one I, I'll probably record it again. I, I feel like looking at Dog recording some of his tunes over and over, or, um, you know, uh, Frizzelda will do the same thing, or Schofield. I should be like, yeah, this sounds beautiful this day with these people, and what does it sound like with the next year with these other folks? So, Absolutely. I love that stuff, too. I mean, I love finding all the different versions even by the same people, you know, or totally, especially totally. on, um, I don't know if you've listened to any of those new dog works. Um, he's got those new compilations that he's been putting out each month and it's got like outtakes or not used versions of a couple tunes. And I love hearing that, you know, just like, whoa. Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and to me, that's really inspiring. You could hear like the outtakes I've heard from the hot dog sessions. It's really cool. Like, again, like getting a sense that they were discovering the arrangement and discovering what needed to happen as opposed to, you know, I just, again, same way, same thing I was kind of alluding to earlier, like chipping away from the idea that like brilliance arrives and it's fully formed. And I'm not like that. And you can hear them like, Oh, that was cool. What if you do that? What if you do that again? That's always (laughs) Daryl's joke about dog and the arranging. Like I have an idea. What if you do that thing you just did? (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned Tom, and it said named after my friend Tom, who did what he could to help make sure musicians knew he knew were surviving the early pandemic. I'd love to maybe just ask about that story, because it sounds like a pretty special person. Well, actually, there was a couple of people. It was a kind of an, an amazing moment. You know, obviously, the pandemic, and especially the early pandemic, when we were 
you know, uh, trenched in unknowns, uh, was, was really, you know, had a lot of fear to it. And it was beautiful the way some of these, some folks were looking out for musicians in their world. Um, and there was this nice woman in Boston who was, um, basically commissioning new tunes as an excuse to, um, basically it's an excuse to give money to musicians, I think, right. Without it being, uh, as, uh, you know, black and white is that, but so she was commissioning these new tunes and, and with various conceits. And then, uh, on the same day I was doing a tune for her, a friend just sent me some, you know, a good chunk of money on Venmo and said, Hey, I'm worried about you. Hope you're doing okay. Which, you know, it's amazing. That's great. That's great. There's people out there and just looking out for people to restore yeah, totally. your faith in humanity every now and again. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about the instruments you used on this too. Um, the mandolin, a mandola and an octave mandolin. They all, they all make appearances. The mandolin was at the gill on the whole thing. It was. Yeah. Yeah. The Gilchrist from whatever, 2000, I think it's the one that some folks might know as Andrew Marlin's old, Gilchrist, and before that it was Aubrey Haney's. I guess originally it was built for him. And it's not like Andrew wants it back ever. <laughs> <laughs> no comments. The hands help too, but good lord, that's. I mean, it sounded good in my hands. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, well, yeah, man, you sound good. That's your thing. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a beauty. And then the mandola. Well, so it's built by Lawrence Smart, the great um, luthier out in Idaho. And uh, man, I think it's a great mandola. I think I really love it. And and uh, the mandola is cool. I've always liked mandolas because they bring out a different, you know, part of the emotional spectrum. It feels like a little bit more introspective or um, not as, you know, sort of. There's no inclination to be burning on the mandola i think um yeah it's it's cool even the same you know the same tune that you played on the mandolin you played on the mandola it has a whole different tenor to it and i i really dig that and also it's, it's beautiful if you're writing and you get find yourself stumped or you switch instruments and see see what you hear there so that's another beautiful thing about the mandola yeah, it's just so throaty sounding too. There's just something about it when every time I hear it, it hits something inside my soul where I'm like, oh my gosh. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? That's so deep and cool sounding. Totally. And then what about the then, active? Yeah, there's two. Uh, one is a, a Fletcher Brock um, octave that, you know, just kind of maybe almost the exact same as what uh, Sarah Jarose has. Um, that sounds great. And then I also play the Northfield octave mandolin. And they're really interesting. Uh, they don't sound like each other at all. And they're both great. And I'd, I'd be, it would be hard to say one is better than the other. I'd, I'd, I really love them both. Are they the same scale length? They're, they're a little bit different. Uh, maybe like a half inch or a quarter inch. Okay. Yeah. And do you, now do you string them, do you just string them with octaves or just, um, like double courses or do you do like Sarah and, and actually like do like a octave set on the lower strings? I think that's cool. I've, I've never done that. Um, Joe Craven does that. And I played his song and, and Andrew Marlon will do that somewhat. Um, I think it's cool. Um, 
but I've never, I've never done that. It's, it's really weird the way your ear gets used to like, like, like learning a tune from someone who's doing that. It's really disorienting hearing the high notes come for the low strings. Yeah. Yeah. Tim O'Brien as well. He's uh, another one who does that. I've, tr- I've tried it on my um, Northfield. I think really it's tough though, getting the, um, get, for whatever reason, like sometimes I'll get a string that just won't sit right in the, uh, oh, yeah. in the low G string. It just buzzes like crazy. I'm like, I'll just put the other string back on. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's driving yeah. me nuts. Home. I wanted to ask you about that too. That was, um, you were on tour with Grant and uh, Danny Barnes. They kind of helped bring the tune to life on various stages. And so I was wondering if there's like maybe a little bit of a story behind that and how that song developed. notes like in a Bach piece that might feel like they could be the starting place for a new tune so actually 41 years was one of those tunes that kind of came out of uh you know a couple notes that i found in uh, uh, sound beautiful in a Bach piece and and this one was kind of a similar one where i was just i spent the day playing all these cello suites on the mandolin and and then later on this tune popped out and and it was kind of reminiscent of some you know melodic movement or some of the harmonic ideas but it doesn't actually borrow from any of those tunes so it's sort of i think it's it was sort of like marinating in bach but it it isn't really uh, a linear relationship to any of those pieces exactly but that happened when i was on the road with with grant and, and danny and you know what a privilege to workshop a new tune with them i mean it's almost like they can make anything sound good. So how do you even know if it's a good tune? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. (laughs) That's that's literally like the, uh, they can polish a turd. Not a lot of people can do that. (laughs) Totally. Yep. But yeah, it was cool. It was really fun to play that with them and and just kind of, you know, both, both Grant and Danny are so fearless about um, what they choose to present and play on stage. It was like, yeah, okay, here's this new thing that was maybe isn't even done. We'll play it tonight, you know. It's really cool. I still love that when I saw you, Mr. Sun, you guys did the intro to Blackbird, and it was way out. <laughs> and Grant just, just laughs, and he's just like, it just keeps getting weirder. <laughs> that's really funny. <laughs> I was just like, that's a guy who's fearless. He's just going for it. You know, to, to me, that's like those moments where you're like, wow, that was like, like he's legitimately just playing and following it where it goes. You know, you don't see that enough <laughs> in music, I think. I think that's right. I, I think that's true. I mean, fortunately, Grant's a guy who can do that. There's definitely, <laughs> you know. Do you have like some songwriting kind of tricks or devices you like to throw your students? You kind of mentioned something about the Bach things. Have you ever heard of the, um, I guess it's called the Brian Eno deck? Oh, this sounds cool, but I don't know about it. I mean, 
I, I get the sense that you can just flip something up and try and um, try and write from that. Yeah. So it would be like um, I recorded an album, and it was years and years ago. But they the, the guy was like he had this th- thing. It was basically just ideas. Like take a song and be like, we'd like the song, but it's just like what can we do to mix it up? And then you know, like one of the cards was make the main guitar riff the bass riff or the bass line. It was like oh, oh cool. it changed the song completely i mean it was like a whole new song you know and it was just that's cool yeah so i just wonder if there's some things that you you know give those students in the class to kind of inspire them to try some different things to get out of ruts or just try something different yeah try something different and and um yeah sure i mean there's a whole bunch of stuff I, i like to basically examine i don't know five or six tunes every week that sort of illustrate one of the points i'm trying to convey so like one of the weeks we'll check out um, a bunch of tunes that I would call one idea tunes. Like um, for mandolin fans, maybe people know the tune Borealis that Mike Marshall and Daryl Langer tune. I think it's a Mike tune, but the, the A part is just basically one little riff on the mandocello. Um, and then the B part is one other riff kind of beautifully moved through the scale. Um, and I think they're both, you could call them, one idea tunes where we're in the sense like you got an idea and then how do you tweak that idea so that something else happens? And then how do you tweak that idea again so that something else happens? And it's, you know, that could be for some students, that's an important uh, thing to bring into their, you know, frame of reference and, and get, get them thinking about things in that way. You know, um, autumn leaves would be another one. Um, there's so many, once you start tuning into it, it's, it's, it's more like, most tunes that work that are not most, but many, many, many tunes uh, that work are, are derived of very small amount of melodic material, if not one idea. So that's one. What would be another one? There's somebody like thinking about what happens if um, the mel- melodic note doesn't change, but your harmony changes, or what happens if you have a diatonic melody, but non-diatonic chords, like say, for example, Moon River, or all beautiful standards that that where the melody is all from one major scale, and then uh, and on its own the major scale kind of sounds doesn't sound as brilliant, but then you see what what somebody was able to do to harmonize this familiar material, and that can be really inspiring. Uh, sometimes uh, I'll, I'll, we'll do this thing where we try and read through poetry and, and uh, sometimes when you're reading text, you can hear a rhythm or a, for me, like if I really kind of allow myself to, to, to vibe out and accept the, the premise, I can start to like hear hints of the melody within a, a, a you know, combination of words, whether it's poetry or somewhere else, or maybe if I just linger with a few, a few words for a little while, a melody starts to come to mind. And that can be a nice way to get a leaping off place for a, for a new tune or for a new song. Were any of these tunes that you wrote for this album, because this is your first all-instrumental album, right? were any of these tunes previously vocal tunes? Oh, that's, a, that's an interesting question. Um, I don't think so. I, I think sometimes, yeah, you're, you're totally right. Sometimes they'll go back and forth between the two. And, um but I don't think so with this one, in this case. What's it been like now? I mean, your albums are 
also good. I'm a huge fan of everything you've done. Oh man, thank you, thank you, man. Because they're all great. You know, it's not a matter of ah, the first one was okay. I mean, the first one's great. <laughs> so Thanks, they're all That's great. They're really consistent, nice. you know. But obviously, there's growth in there as well. Yeah, and and you know, tastes change, and um, and also like my sense of what I should or could be doing has changed. I think. Um, you know, certainly playing the mandolin and more or less arising um, and learning and growing, you know, musically growing up in, in the bluegrass world puts a certain set of expectations on, uh, you know, probably all the instruments. I think about it with regards to the mandolin, of course, and maybe questioning or pushing back on some of those assumptions has been part of the changes, I think. Mike Block says it interestingly, like he says, uh, the cellist Mike Block, great, fantastic cello player, he says, he's interested in, in playing music where there's no preconceived notion of what the cello should sound like. And I dig that. I think that's cool. So part of this tune or this record was, um, you know, seeking out situations where it wasn't um, already preordained what I should be doing. And like when I when I actually step back and listen to what like I look at what records I listen to all the time, it's a lot of quiet, beautiful records, <laughs> as opposed to just like burning your face off, shred town, you know, and and that's the stuff that I keep returning to, and that was important for me to um, make space for that and prioritize that. So that was what I was trying to do with this one. What are some of your uh, favorite melodic records? Yeah, I really love that. Um, record of duets with Bill Frizzell and, and Fred Hirsch. That's really cool. Um, it's called Songs We Know. And it's that's really, like, especially from the conversational perspective, to me that's like kind of the apex of it, where at any moment if you're saying, who's playing the melody and who's backing, who's playing backup? It's sort of neither <laughs> or both. It's sort of, you know, it's really beautiful. And, and that's, that's a really inspiring record. Um, Actually, the Frizzell record of duets with Greg Cohen um, called Golden State is fantastic. Um, the Keith Jarrett and Charlie Hayden record, um, Jasmine, as in the T-J-A-S-M-I-N-E. To me, that's like maybe my favorite record. It's just listening to Keith kind of patiently uh, follow these melodic ideas. It's so great. Um, the Charlie Hayden and Hank Jones record, Steal Away. Oh, yeah. You know, so many familiar melodies and, and just kind of so gracefully and just slightly t twisted with in it. And that's fantastic. The Martin Hayes duet records with Dennis Cahill, R.I.P. Um, those are fantastic. I, I find that Martin Hayes so endlessly inspiring. Yeah, and people are always like, this is a frequent question with students, like, I'm tired of what I'm playing. How do I, how do I play something else, right? <laughs> right. And, Essentially, I mean, that's I'm, I'm, I'm simplifying the question, but to me, it's always like you need to have other input. You need to have how are you going to play something until you hear it? Um, if, unless you hear other options is what I'm trying to say. And so listening to other people who make choices distinctly different from me, that's really important to me. What else does 2023 have in store for you? Oh, man, it should be an interesting year. Um, Mr. Sub is... Is working on a on a fun project. We're we're adapting um, 
So Ellington, Duke Ellington and Billy Strayhorn did an adaptation of The Nutcracker. And then we're adapting that adaptation for our band with uh, probably like, you know, quote unquote horn sections comprised of multiple fiddles or multiple mandolins and lots of solos and, and really excited about that. Yeah, it's really interesting to see like, um, you know, they're just wildly creative dudes and like Daryl will be changing well, this one used to be a waltz, but now it's in 4-4. This one should be, you know, it's it just interesting to see his, I think they all have beautiful musical minds, and, and this is kind of another way to see them in, in action. And then gigs with, with Mr. Son, gigs with the Mike Block Trio. Um, you know, the Gear Mandolin Orchestra is showing up at, in Charleston for the, I mean, in Savannah for the Savannah Fest, and I'm going to be playing cello in that. Oh, so cool, man. That. Yeah. When is that? I'll have to come down for that. It's at the very beginning of April. Yeah, that that's a cool, for anybody that doesn't know the project, it's an amazing um, mandolin orchestra um, kind of recreating the music of uh, the what, what would have been played by Jewish mandolin orchestras in Eastern Europe prior to the war. The mandocello, we got to talk about that real quick that you're going to be playing, new, the new instrument. Yeah, um, I finally kind of the same way I was, you know, you know, hemming and hawing for years and years about buying that mandolin a while ago. I've been feeling like there should be a mandocello here at the household and here in Portland. There's actually so many great mandolin players in Portland right now. It's like there should be a mandocello so we can have like the Portland mandolin quartet or something just just to make something possible. So I, I finally ordered a mandocello from. From Lawrence Smart, the same as the Mandola, and it arrived uh, around Thanksgiving. So I've been just gradually getting to know it. Man, it's really fun. Fun, beautiful sound. Oh, and one last thing that's happening in 2023 is is we're launching a a, a, a peghead course about playing jazz and swing tunes. Yes. Um, so basically, trying to uh, break down some of the key concepts and fundamentals for for playing those tunes, but on the mandolin. Do you know when that's gonna when when that's gonna start up? It's not clear. Maybe maybe April. Cool. Oh, that'll be amazing, man. Any uh, any current favorite beers? <laughs> you know, I haven't had a beer in a while. Uh, I, uh, I I had this moment where I was feeling like my hands were giving me all this trouble, and uh, I kind of skipped on the whole gluten thing. Oh, no kidding. Uh, yeah, so so that, so my hands are doing okay, but drinking beer is a casualty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the uh, throes, and I say throes by four days of dry January right now. And oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, uh, you know, time between, actually that time between IBMA and... Uh, and New Year's Eve, yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> lots of beers and lots of food, and sure, yeah, was yeah. like getting dressed for my New Year's Eve game. Like these pants are way tighter than I remember. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. Do you dry these? <laughs> they must have shrunk. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely what it was. You know, the pants is definitely the pants shrinking. So, yeah, yeah. I'm no no drinks for me for January here, but that always makes that beer in February taste better, though. So. Well, Joe, man, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. My pleasure. Congratulations on this this incredible new album. I can't wait for everybody to hear it. It's 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 amazing, as to be expected, and uh, it's it's nice to. By the way, it always makes me nervous. Like 
you know, when you send the files, that's definitely waited a day or two before I uh, listened to it because I was like, oh, what if it's, what if it's, not, what if you don't like what it? What if I don't like it? <laughs> yep, that's the now. thing. <laughs> but not the case, not the yeah. case. You and Grant, Grant's new one too, is uh, is incredible that yeah. he's got coming out in March as well. So both those though were like nerve wracking to uh, first listen to because I'm like, oh man. <laughs> you know it is though you know of Bill course, Frizzell's of got course. some albums I love Bill Frizzell's yeah. playing but there's a couple albums I'm like yeah, yeah. Uh, he's got better he's got better yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so totally. but congratulations man um, and everybody follow Joe on his social medias keep up with him go see him live if you can up in the northeast and uh, thanks again buddy hey thanks so much thanks all right. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much to Joe. What a way to kick off the new year. One of my favorite players. Incredible album. Thank you so much for tuning in for another year of mandolins and beer. Cheers, everybody. Have a great weekend.